Good afternoon. The hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will now come to order. We're here to consider an important nominee, Amanda Bennett, to be Chief Executive Officer of the U.S. Agency for Global Media. Ms. Bennett, I want to congratulate you on the nomination, and I want to thank you for your willingness to serve, and also thank you especially to members of the family who will also bear the burdens and sacrifices of your service. Uh, let me begin by introducing our nominee. Uh, Amanda Bennett is an author, investigative journalist, and editor. Most recently, she served as director of Voice of America. Prior to her service at Voice of America, she had a lengthy career in journalism, including as executive editor of Bloomberg News, editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer. She also served as a Wall Street Journal reporter for over two decades and a contributing columnist for the Washington Post. Ms. Bennett shared the 1997 Pulitzer Prize for her reporting with the Wall Street Journal colleagues. She's a graduate of Harvard College. I want to congratulate you again on the nomination. Representing the U.S. and the American people is an honor, privilege, and I'm sure based on your impressive professional background, you will serve with distinction. I'm pleased to be asked to chair this nomination hearing for the CEO of the U.S. Agency for Global Media, which is an important post that is only gaining more importance in a world where information and disinformation is so important. The U.S. Agency for Global Media has undergone great change over the last decade, most notably through the creation of a permanent CEO position at the head of the agency. Meanwhile, global media consumption has changed rapidly with the rise of social media and messaging technology, while traditional media institutions have experienced a loss of audience and a loss of influence. Regardless of how the agency is structured, it's clear that its mission of providing balance and objective media to societies without a free press has never been more important. The current crackdown on Russia, in Russia on voices opposing the illegal invasion of Ukraine demonstrates how fragile the right to free expression is in so many parts of the world and how quickly the flow of free information can be stopped by governments. How the U.S. Agency for Global Media balances its mission with other directives, broadly advancing U.S. foreign policy objectives, is an enduring challenge for the agency, and I hope we can explore that today. The committee looks forward to hearing from you today, Ms. Bennett. I look forward to working with you, and I want to now turn to the ranking member of this committee, Senator Barrasso, for his opening remarks. Thanks so much, Mr. Chairman. Thanks for holding this very important uh, committee hearing today. The committee uh, is going to examine the nomination of Amanda Bennett to be the Chief Executive Officer of the U.S. Agency for Global Media. I want to congratulate you on the nomination for this important position and extend a warm welcome to your friends as well as your family. Amanda has a long and distinguished career in journalism. As you mentioned, Mr. Chairman, over 20 years served as a reporter at the Wall Street Journal, editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer in Philadelphia, the Herald Leader in Lexington, Kentucky, the Oregonian in Portland, and the Bloomberg News in New York City. She's a Pulitzer Prize winning author, an investigative journalist, and an editor. She also has experience working at the agency as the director of the Voice of America for over four years. With her background and experience, Amanda will add value and much needed direction to the U.S. Agency on Global Media. At a time when press freedom and democracy are starting to decline, U.S. international broadcasting has a very important role to play. With authoritarian governments shut down the news and censor their people, this agency can give credible and timely and accurate information. There is a need to provide the international community with balanced and objective information. 
This is especially true in areas of the world where disinformation, propaganda, and terrorist ideology dominate the news. It's also important to remember this agency is tasked with promoting foreign policy goals and national security interests of the United States. This position has an impact on our nation's interests across the globe. The U.S. Agency for Global Media supervises and oversees a global broadcast network reaching over 350 million people. Its programming is distributed via radio, television, internet, and other news media broadcast in 62 languages. Should you serve our nation in this important position, it's critical that you continue to provide strong leadership and stewardship of American taxpayer resources. Demonstrate professionalism and good judgment and vigorously work to advance the priorities of the United States. During your testimony, I hope you'll lay out your plan for the efficiencies, improvements, and strategic direction for the agency. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Barrasso. Um, we'll now proceed with Ms. Bennett. I would ask you to provide your opening remarks. Thank you so much, Chairman Kane, and uh, Ranking Member Barrasso, and members of the committee for welcoming me here today. It's such an honor to be considered by this committee for the position of Chief Executive Officer for the U.S. Agency for Global Media, and I thank members and their staff for taking the time to meet with me. I'd like to take a moment to recognize behind me my husband, Don Graham, and my son, Terry Foley, as well as to acknowledge my daughter, Georgia Foley, stepchildren, Liza, Laura, Will, and Molly, my late husband, Terrence Foley, and my mentors, Sandra Mimsrow and Chuck Camp, and I'm so grateful for their generosity, their support, and their encouragement. We're at a critical moment in history. Journalism and public diplomacy alike are targeted as never before by authoritarian regimes using mis- and disinformation to undermine those seeking credible, fact-based, and unbiased coverage of the world around them. Journalism has been my life. At 11 years old, I published my first newspaper story about the day my father told me that my newborn sister had Down syndrome. Yesterday, she turned 60. I began my professional career as a French-speaking journalist in Ottawa, Ontario. I spent 23 years at the Wall Street Journal, where I became only the second Wall Street Journal correspondent in China, and thus experiencing life in an authoritarian state where journalists and sources were watched and detained. I went on to lead newsrooms in Oregon and in Kentucky and in Pennsylvania, where I became the top editor before returning to financial journalism at Bloomberg News. I've been a reporter, an editor, a manager, and a news organization leader. I shared two Pulitzer Prizes, including the much coveted Public Service Prize. I've also spent significant time contributing to nonprofit and journalistic and foreign policy institutions, as well as mentoring the next generation of news leaders. Most recently, during my four years in public service as the director of Voice of America, I witnessed extraordinary passion and devotion to mission. I saw how much can be accomplished, yes, even in government, by harnessing that passion to surmount obstacles. I'm a pragmatic leader, and I believe organizations work best when things around them work well. At VOA, I traveled to 22 countries, witnessing the depth of China, Russia, and Iran's misinformation around the world. But more importantly, I saw 
people's hunger for believable, trustworthy information. And I realized that the BBC and USAGM networks were, for all practical purposes, the only free press in a huge part of the world. If I am fortunate enough to be confirmed, I would emphasize the strong, nonpartisan nature of this agency and focus on the following priorities. I would work to ensure that everything that USAGM does supports its mission as a stable, coordinated, efficient, and transparent organization serving its broadcasters and creating conditions in which truthful journalism can be most effectively practiced. I'd seek to accelerate the advances in technology to ensure that information can be seen and heard by the people who need it the most. Authoritarian regimes are increasingly sophisticated in blocking information, and USAGM needs to become even more sophisticated in breaching those barriers. Playing catch-up can no longer be our only option. We need to look ahead to protect truthful, believable, free news and information from the increasingly rigorous attempts to block it. The best journalism and news is of no use if people can't see and hear it. And I would reaffirm both the mission and the firewall that underpins the worldwide credibility that USAGM broadcasters all enjoy. The firewall is essential to that credibility, ensuring editorial independence and protecting USAGM and its journalists from outside influence. As my personal experience confronting state-controlled media taught me, there's nothing more important to USAGM than this independence. Celebrating successes is crucial, as is the freedom to expose and explore flaws. Audiences see our example of candor in exercising press freedom in a democratic society as a proof of our credibility. In so many countries, people yearn for that truth, even if it's a painful truth. I do not take this opportunity lightly, nor underestimate its challenges. I'm also grateful to the dedicated people at USAGM and its entities who work tirelessly in support of its mission. If confirmed, I pledge to work with them to uphold the highest journalistic standards and work persistently to protect the safety and the privacy of both journalists and audiences worldwide. I also commit to being accessible and transparent and to work collaboratively within government, external stakeholders, with this committee and all of Congress in a bipartisan fashion to ensure that USAGM has the support and resources necessary to fulfill its mission and that the agency is held accountable to its obligations. I'm grateful for, for the committee for considering my nomination and I look forward to answering your questions. Thank you very much. Ms. Bennett, thank you very much for that testimony. I have a few housekeeping questions that we ask of all nominees, and I want to begin there before moving to five-minute rounds of policy questions. So first, do you agree to appear before this committee and make officials from your office available to the committee and designated staff when invited? I do. Do you agree, do you commit to keep this committee fully and currently informed about the activities under your purview? I do. Do you commit to engaging in meaningful consultation while policies are being developed not just providing notification after the fact. Yes, Senator, I do. And finally, do you commit to promptly responding to requests for briefings and information requested by the committee and its designated staff? Yes, I do. Thank, thank you, Ms. Bennett. Let, let me begin with the topic I wish I didn't have to begin with. I, I'd like to talk about campaigns against disinformation and how we 
objectively promote journalism but our own foreign policy ideas. But I, I want to start off with talking about the murder of journalists. This is not something that we should have to talk to. Jamal Khashoggi was a Virginia resident who was murdered in a state-sponsored assassination by the Saudi Arabian government. There still has not been accountability uh, for that murder. Um, I read accounts that the president may meet with the leaders of Saudi Arabia who have thus far escaped accountability. Within the last month, a prominent Al Jazeera journalist, Shireen Abu Akhla, was killed by Israeli defense forces in Palestine. There have been uh, significant murders of journalists in Mexico. We could go country after country. This is not unique to any particular left or right or kind of government. It's not, it's not unique to any continent, sadly. Uh, but we are seeing journalists increasingly under pressure, not just you know, having their stories suppressed or editorial content blocked, but actually at risk for their very lives. What could the U.S. Agency for Global Media do to either provide some security or at least elevate this topic in the eyes of Americans and those around the world so that we might be able to protect people practicing the craft that you have been about for your entire professional career? Thank you very much for that question, Senator, and I too wish it were something that we didn't have to lead this committee with because it is clear that the situation, the security situation and the safety situation for journalists around the world is becoming just increasingly fraught, increasingly dangerous, and protecting those journalists, and not only those journalists, but also the audiences and sources that work with them, is got to be a high priority. And there's many things we, that are already being done to try and protect their security, but there are also many other things that can be done, including um, working on notification in digital security, and making sure that we have the most up-to-date policies and practices. I appreciate that. And I also believe that even in the, uh, the selection of content, you know, factually accurate but unscrupulous, uh, scrupulously uh, focused attention to the situation of journalists around the world who are under any kind of pressure, certainly under any threat to their life, can have a way of elevating this in, in the mind's eye of the public in ways that could be helpful, and I would encourage you in that way. I, I don't need to kind of cite chapter and verse of challenges, but I will say, and you're certainly aware of this because of your recent service on the VOA, which is one of the things that I think makes you very, very well suited to this position. There have been challenges in, the, in morale uh, in the employees within the uh, uh, USAGM. W what steps would you take using your background, not only as a journalist, but as a manager, what steps would you take to you know, slowly improve morale among leadership and staff within the agency? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Senator. And I take very, very seriously, not just the safety of our, the staff, but also their morale. And the one thing I found is even during the periods of the most deep, profound morale issues, there was still this hunger and passion for the mission. So the first thing I would do is make sure they understand that I share that hunger and passion, and that I understand what they're doing, and I want to help them do it the best pos possible way. And the second thing I would do is to make sure that the conditions at USAGM support them in their mission, and that everything we do at USAGM is used to advance the incredibly important work that they do. Let me ask you this question. How do you approach, and again, your VOA experience is very valuable here, how do you approach these twin missions of USAGM being completely independent, trustworthy in, in delivering information, also advancing 
U.S. foreign policy interests. We want to do both, but we certainly can't sacrifice objectivity and accuracy for the latter goal. How, how do you, what's your philosophy about how you accomplish both those goals? Thank you, Santa. I've never seen those goals as being in opposition. I feel that they're very similar and that modeling the values that we hold as Americans in a democratic society of free press is really an extremely powerful message about the freedoms of a democratic society. So I find that modeling these uh, messages and also bringing truthful news and information about the world and also about American foreign policy. We are in some parts of the world the only source of truthful and objective news about American foreign policy, about many subjects. I think that those two things are really very important and will continue to be so. Thank you, Ms. Bennett. Before I hand to Senator Barrasso for questions, I'll just reflect to a time earlier in my life. It was Christmas of 1980, Christmas Eve, uh, and I was on my way to what I thought was going to be a celebration of Christmas with Jesuit missionaries in Honduras where I was working, but instead our car broke down and the person I was with, we had to spend the night sleeping on a dirt floor in a one-room schoolhouse high in the mountains of Honduras. But we had a radio and we could turn on Voice of America and listen to their Christmas programming. And other than everything else, it was the worst Christmas Eve of my life because we only had a can of peanuts to share <laughs> rather than the dinner we hoped to enjoy with others. But Voice of America was the one bright spot of that very grim Christmas evening, and I'll never forget that, even though it was 42 years ago. So with that, I'll hand it over to Senator Barrasso. Well, thanks so much, Mr. Chairman. Again, congratulations on the nomination. I have a couple of questions, and, um, and I want to get into the issue of Russia and Ukraine, and not just the, uh, the unprovoked military attack on innocent people, but also the propaganda that I see being used uh, by Russia, targeting uh, specific populations around the world. It's, it's a fascinating thing that I wasn't aware of until I really dug into this. And, you know, Russia's attempting to influence and persuade African nations, interestingly enough. Uh, evidence of its impact clearly shown during the vote, I think, at the United Nations on March 2nd of this year. The United Nations General Assembly passed a resolution condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Vote was 140 to 5, demanding that Russia immediately ceased its use of force against Ukraine, refrained from other, any further unlawful threat, condemned the violations, all of that. Yet over half of the African countries did not vote to support it. Um, the vote to condemn Russia's invasion, 28 African nations backed the resolution, 17 abstained, eight were no-shows, and, and one nation uh, opposed it. So we know that Russia has had an extensive propaganda operation. Uh, when I met with President Zelensky in his office in Kiev a number of weeks ago and asked, you know, what's the disappointment? He said, we expected more, more support out of Africa in terms of the amount of food that goes to Africa and the relationship and the friendship. So it does seem that Russian-controlled media is pushing the false narrative uh, that Putin is the hero versus telling the truth about his brutality, his military aggression in Ukraine. So how can the United States better shed light on the atrocities uh, and the coercive practices that are committed by countries like Russia? Senator, that is an incredibly important question and one that focuses on the strength that USAGM can bring to those questions. First off, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I think, highlights, as never before, the power of information, both false information and true information. The true information about the way that Ukraine has responded to these aggressions is 
very, very powerful in, in underlining another nation's support for it. And the false information is also very important in helping maintain the aggression at the way it is. And so information is our most important um, asset, I think, in helping combat this. And Senator, I thank you for underlying the fact that the mis and disinformation that come out of Russia, out of China, and Iran do not affect only those populations and the populations around them. They're also, as I discovered in my travels, absolutely endemic, shockingly endemic, both in Africa and in South and Latin America. And we need to draw on our global capabilities and enhance our global capabilities to push back at this disinformation by flooding the zone with accurate information and I look forward to helping USAGM do that. Uh, and Mr. Chairman, you may have saw this yesterday, but Ms. Bennett, yesterday the State Department spokesperson, Ned Price, stated this. He said, quote, the Kremlin is engaged in a full assault on media freedom, access to information, and the truth. Uh, he went on to say the Russian government fundamentally and willfully disregards what it means to have a free press, as evidenced by them blocking or banning nearly every independent Russian outlet seeking to report from inside the country. So Putin's taking over complete control of news and information through censorship, attacks on the press. Russia's labeling media outlets as extremists. You may have seen that. Uh, reading and sharing this, their content on social networks subjects individuals to criminal prosecution. Uh, Russia passed a law imposing 15 years in jail for sharing information that goes against Putin's narrative on Ukraine, basically against the truth. And Western media is attempting to push back on the disinformation and efforts by leaders such as he to control the news. So how has Russia's actions against the press and journalists impacted what you'll be asked to do as U.S. Agency for Global Media? Thank you, Senator. It impacts it in a couple of different ways. One, as you mentioned, the crackdown on the ability of ordinary citizens to receive information and for journalists inside the country to report information makes it increasingly important that our efforts to make sure that we keep ahead of the circumvention tools that we have at our disposal right now and advance them so that we can increasingly get into these closed societies. We have lots of evidence in Russia, in China, and Iran that the people there, when given the opportunity, will seek out this information, and we need to make it available to them. And I would also underscore for you that the issues, the, the very dreadful issues that you've just talked about, about the security and safety issues going uh, affecting journalists there, I think does help underscore the role that the passion and mission of journalists play in continuing to do this valuable work. So, so that leads into my final question, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for allowing me to go over my time. So what steps can the agency take to get accurate information and news to the Russian people? about what their government's actions really are in Ukraine. Senator, there's, there's, there's many different ways we can do that. Some of them are technological and some of them are social, but um, we can see right now that Voice of America and Radio for Europe are right now getting record record uh, uh, traffic from, from both inside and, and the Russian periphery. People who are offered the opportunity to get this information seek it out, so we need to make their tools that help them seek it out, more available to them, safer. And we also need to get ahead of the technology so that as the Russians um, and the other uh, authoritarian regimes seek to shut down these countries, that we are 
equally capable in bypassing those barriers. Th th thank you for your helpful answers. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Absolutely. Thanks, Senator Bryce. So um, by WebEx, we have Senator Van Hollen now joining. Uh, and I will turn to Senator Portman, who I believe is also here via WebEx. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Chairman Kane, And to Ranking Member Brasso, thank you all for help having this hearing. And to Ms. Bennett, I appreciate your willingness to step up and serve our country again after your service at the Voice of America. And welcome to your family, including uh, your husband, Don Graham, who I see back yeah. behind you somewhere lurking. Um, I, I want to talk a little about my concern about what's happened to the uh, U.S. Agency for Global Media without having leadership in place, it's it's been kind of a drift. It's my sense that the staff has had a, a, some morale challenges and uh, that stable leadership is really needed right now. I, I think you probably know better than most having been director of the Voice of America, the importance of uh, USAGM's uh, reliability and consistency in terms of uh, the foreign audience that, that trusts them and um, that therefore sets them apart from other news sources. So. My question to you is, if confirmed, it would be up to you to reestablish that trust. Uh, and by the way, with Congress and the American people as well, but certainly the foreign audiences, what are your plans and how would you empower the networks to protect freedom and democracy in countries that are increasingly, as we've heard today, under threat from Russia, from China, from other authoritarian regimes? Thank you, Senator. And I'm glad you used the word trust because one of the hallmarks of my leadership throughout my career has been the fact that I want to cultivate trust with everyone that our news organization touches, with the staff, with its stakeholders, with its audiences. Trust is one of the most important things. Without it, you can't do anything going forward. So going in and reestablishing the trust inside USAGM, I hope will go a long way towards helping improve the morale there because I saw that even under the most difficult circumstances, even when the morale was the lowest, no one ever, ever, ever abandoned their faith in the mission or their passion for the mission. And so helping people get the tools and the processes and the support that they need to do that mission, I think will go a long way towards restoring trust and restoring uh, a morale that is essential to operating effectively. Well, thank you, Ms. Ben. I think you have your, you'll have your hands full. And uh, again, with your background, I think you'll come in with some credibility uh, with the other journalists there. And I hope that we can, at this critical time, you know, have a very effective message countering the disinformation and propaganda that's increasing out there uh, in every format, particularly online. Uh, I want to ask you a specific question, if I could, um, with regard to North Korea, along with Senator Brown and Senator Coons and others, I wrote and introduced what's called the Otto Warmbier Countering North Korea Censorship and Surveillance Act. It passed uh, this committee actually in October, and we are hoping to get a vote on the floor soon. It seeks to combat the North Korea regime's repressive information environment, which is flooded entirely with regime-sponsored propaganda, as you know, and it actually censors outside news. Um, what's your understanding of Radio Free Asia's and uh, Voice of America's programming to the North Korean audiences? Senator, thank you, thank you very much. And my my understanding, based on my time there, is that there is substantial programming that helps the people in North Korea 
see and understand what's happening in a truthful way that they can't access any other way, and also gives them a look at what life is like in other parts of the world, that uh, uh, an insight that they're largely um, forbidden to have. And I think I would like to say that even right now, there is a surprising audience inside North Korea for truthful news and information. I've been lucky enough to read some reports that really surprised even me about the extent to which Voice of America and Radio Free Asia's uh, content is available. And I wonder if, if I might be um, permitted, I carried, I was so struck by this that I carried oh. this statement with me. I had it laminated, I put it in my purse, carried it with me, and read it to anyone who would listen. It's about North Korea. And it's a statement that says, my name is Tai Yong Ho. I am the former deputy ambassador of North Korea to the United Kingdom. And today I would like to say that the Voice of America has been playing a very important role to bring back the human rights to every citizen of the world. And so far, VOA has played a very important role to push the world to a better world. And when I was in North Korea as a diplomat in the foreign ministry, I read every morning and afternoon the materials. We called them radio reference materials of VOA. And the North Korean regime also pays great attention to the context of VOA. So I think it's very important that VOA should strengthen that activity and also its contents so that one day I hope VOA is remembered by the North Korean people as kind of, you know, the main player who contributed a lot for the reunification of the Korean Peninsula. Now, he was speaking on VOA broadcast, therefore the emphasis on VOA. But Radio for Asia also has the same kind of impact inside North Korea. And I think it's one that we can build on and, ex and accentuate going forward. Great. Well, th thank you very much. Um, we also understand that there is some damage to some of the antennas that have been used in the past uh, to be able to broadcast into North Korea. And there's a need to repair those antennas. So uh, should you be confirmed, we'd love to work with you on that. Um, and also the Open Technology Fund um, has some tools to be able to circumvent some of the censorship. And uh, I want to be sure that you are um, working with them as, as well, who could benefit from our legislation. Do you have any, any exposure to that group, to the Open Technology Fund? Yes, Senator, I, I do. I have met with and talked to the people on the Open Technology Fund. I have nothing but respect and admiration and, frankly, great excitement about the possibility of going there, working with them, and helping develop those essential tools. So, yes, Senator, and I will welcome discussions and support from anyone in helping achieve that mission. Great. Uh, what's your assessment of um, RFE and, and Radio Liberty's uh, coverage of the war in Ukraine? Senator, I think that the entire U.S. Agency for Global Media are doing just an extraordinary job of covering that uh, conflict and providing useful information to the people there and also to the people around the world. It's As we mentioned earlier, it's very, very important to make sure that the rest of the world also knows this. And I think that there is so much more that can be done to build on the work that is being done right now to make sure that more people see it, more people hear it. A bigger audience around the world gets that news and information. I really look forward to working to build on the wonderful work that is being done currently and make it even more available. Do you think that Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty should recommence its physical operations in Russia? Has that been an issue in terms of 
uh, as Senator Rosso asked, uh, allowing the Russian people to get the facts as to what's really going on in Ukraine? Senator, I apologize, but I'm not very familiar with that, that particular issue right at the moment, but I'd look forward to looking into it and getting back to you if you'd like. Well, that would, that, that would be great. Um, I think uh, broadcasting news to, to our Russian audience is really important right now, and uh, that's something to think about is whether we should try to recommence our physical operations there. Um, so thank you very much for uh, your testimony today and, uh, again, your willingness to, to step up and and be involved in uh, another leadership role, helping to spread uh, truth and, and frankly, uh, allowing people around the world to know, you know, what America is really up to, which is, you know, we are involved in liberating people and helping people and um, in Ukraine, trying to avoid uh, atrocities from occurring uh, from Russia, on, thanks to an unjustified, illegal, unwarranted invasion of that country. And, and um, so and my hope is that you uh, will be able to help to communicate that message. And that is such a critical message right now, particularly again with all the disinformation and propaganda out there, particularly on social media. So thank you and uh, best of luck. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Portman. I let you exceed your time because I was told that Senator Schatz was on his way um, and he is here. And so Senator Schatz, you're next. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, uh, and thank you, uh, Ms. Bennett, for being willing to serve uh, again, I, I want to start uh, with internet freedom. Um, what lessons did you learn at VOA about the importance of an open and reliable internet access in authoritarian countries in particular? Senator Schatz, that's a, uh, thank you for that question because that's a very, very important question. And making sure that we stay technologically, not just catching up, but advanced in providing internet access to people around the world is really critical to making sure that the best work that is being done there gets made available to people around the world because that is increasingly the way people are attaining their information and is very important. And as authoritarian regimes get better at locking down and closing down those systems, we need to get better at breaking them down. Um, Tell me about the Open Technology Fund. Uh, you don't have to summarize it for me uh, at the more basic level, but how do you think OTF can fill some of these new gaps and, so, like you say, stay a little bit ahead of the curve of the authoritarians? Senator, I'm looking forward to diving into that issue and making sure that the, the good work and research that's being done there, will we can draw on that to move forward. One of the most important things that the Open Technology Fund does right now is... Uh, support and develop and distribute um, um, circumvention tools that enable people, audiences, safely to access the content provided by USAGM around the world, even when it is denied to them through their own country's mechanisms. And I assume there's a, an opportunity for private sector partnership here as some of these circumvention, most of these circumvention tools, I would venture to guess, um, are developed, you know, outside of the four corners of the government. It's, it's one of the strengths, I think, of the Open Technology Fund is its ability to see and use those, those uh, partnerships, and I look forward to expanding them as much as possible. Um, I don't want to get you in trouble here, but I'm, um, but I'm going to say that um, USAGM was politicized in a way that was deeply unfortunate and has to be reversed. And so I'd just like to, for you to talk 
through how we're going to maintain the reputation of USAGM uh, and restore the sense among people on both sides of the aisle and across the planet that you are not doing anybody's bidding other than the bidding of fair and accurate information uh, and the dissemination of facts across the planet. And can you speak to that for me? Yes, Sandra, thank you for that question because I think that my nearly 50-year career in journalism, I have striven to make sure that I always uphold the principles of neutrality, nonpartisanship, unbiased reporting and journalism, and I intend to keep on fulfilling those principles. And those are the principles that USAGM wants at its very heart and soul to maintain. And there's no room for, not, for partisanship inside the Voice of America. It is a, a nonpartisan, unbiased operation without the ability to act independently and to present news of all kinds. Um, it's, it, it is of uh, not the greatest use it could possibly be. There's no room for partisanship, Senator. Thank you. Um, th this question may be a little more challenging, um, not, not in a political sense, but I, I'm sort of puzzling through this. As I think about the Voice of America and, and Radio Free Asia, um, you know, you're, you're producing content and you're, and you're putting it on the airwaves. Um, I'm not one of these people who thinks that, you know, that every time there's a new medium for communication, the other ones become irrelevant. Radio is still a very powerful tool, um, and we ought to fund it, and, we, and, 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 and what they're doing is essential. And yet, people are getting their information in lots of new ways. So how do you kind of envision, other than or in addition to OTF and kind of the, the convening authority that you have and the ability that you have to di distribute dissemination tools, what does what is, what is VOA look like in 50 years? Is it still radio? Um, what's, what's the future look like? Senator, I wish I could see ahead 50 years, but what I, can, what I can say is that I am a very pragmatic leader. What I care about is what works. If people are receiving their news and information on their cell phones, then we should provide news and information on their cell phones. If they are providing, if they're accessing news and information through shortwave radio, we should be providing in, in, uh, information and news to them via shortwave radio. We need to use the tools that work. And it needs to be a fact-based decision on how we deploy our resources to do that. And I think it's a very exciting opportunity to be able to continue to focus our resources where they can be most effectively used. Just one final question, though. Is there someone doing analysis of sort of the the mix of mediums, right? Like when you, when, you, when you do any kind of communications campaign, you say, well, there's gonna be 10% you know, for print and 20% for web and 10% for radio and the rest for television. Are you thinking through what the mix is? Um, because the government funding lines don't necessarily, they're not so anticipatory and they're probably not so flexible. So I'm just wondering if at least we can be in a dialogue about what that mix is over what period of time. And you don't necessarily you're not in charge of precipitating the transformation, but you, I think, are in charge of riding it, understanding it, and, and remaining effective in a changing landscape. Yes, Senator, I, I think there is, I think that's a very exciting challenge, and I think it's one that we can continue to do most, not only effectively, but more effectively. And it's a very interesting challenge because that mix is different in different parts of the world and in different countries. And so doing deep analyses of 
who the audience is, what they need, what they're looking for, is really critical to making those decisions. And the more information we have like that and the more attention we pay to it, the better decisions we're going to make on that subject in the future. Sure, as a, as a perfect example, shortwave radio is not something that comes top of mind in the United States and is still a, an enormously powerful tool uh, elsewhere. Yes, Senator, may I, may I give you an example? Because at my time at Voice of America, I'm sure you remember the horrendous tragedy inside Myanmar when the Rohingya re uh, were chased from their homes and were forced to resettle in Bangladesh. Shortly after that happened, people were still coming across the river. I went to the refugee camps in Bangladesh to see the Rohingya refugees and discovered that even if they had just been chased from their homes, their hunger for information was just as strong as in any other part of the world. And very quickly, very flexibly, very nimbly, we were able to set up a Rohingya language broadcast using shortwave into those camps. And we created, a, back at Voice of America, created a model that is replicable into other refugee camps around the world. So yes, I agree with you, Senator. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Senator Schatz. Um, Ms. Bennett, one, one last question for me, and then I'll see if others here uh, have questions. Senator Barrasso is introducing a witness at another committee hearing and will return. The question I want to ask is I sometimes worry about the silo effect of uh, federal government or any institution that, you know, everybody's got their little piece, and instead of looking comprehensively, we sort of uh, get into our silos. USAGM is an important element of, of global our sort of uh, global engagement, public diplomacy. But there's other agencies, institutions, and bureaus within U.S. government that are also in that public diplomacy space. Talk a little bit about how you see USAGM kind of in that array of other actors and what are the appropriate relationships to build and nurture among the network without compromising the journalistic objectivity that USAGM needs to maintain. Absolutely, Senator. Thank you for asking that question. And I hate silos. I hate silos. They are they they impede people doing their best work. And so I think that there are many, many tools in the information space that USAGM occupies. And making sure that USAGM is a willing and open and transparent and trustworthy partner to help look at the different ways that people are accessing information and the different lanes that people uh, fulfill in doing that mission, I think is incredibly important. And I, I, I really commit to making sure that we avoid silos of all kinds in our work. Senator Menendez is on the way here, so I'm gonna keep asking questions until he arrives. Um, let me ask you this, in your VOA experience, did you kind of, did you have the feeling as you looked at what other nations were doing, wow, we're out-resourced, or we're getting the right amount of resources. I'm assuming you didn't feel like you were getting too many. So what, what has been your sense in the recent iteration of USAGM and Voice of America about the degree of resources that the U.S. is committing to this, these important goals vis-a-vis -vis, uh, other nations? Senator, we appreciate the financial support that the Senate gives to us at, at any amount, and yet I can say that looking out over the globe, we are vastly out-resourced by our, our competitors and our ad adversaries. Whatever the funding level we get, Voice of America, Radio for Europe, Radio for Asia, um, uh, Office of Cuba Broadcasting, and the Office of Middle East Broadcasting will all continue to do our best. However, we are facing an extremely well-resourced, professional, and very impressive infrastructure around the world. And 
whatever resources we can be given in the future will be put to good use. And those adversaries are principally uh, Russia and China, but not exclusively. I think Iran has Spanish language um, uh, broadcasting capacity. Are, are there other nations than those that I've mentioned that are really active in this area that we need to pay attention to as we make our own resource decisions? Those three nations are the primary sources of that kind of competition. The thing that I think people find surprising is that this kind of uh, these three adversaries are operating not just in their own countries and their neighboring countries, but all over the world. And so it is equally important to be aware of the incredible inroads they are making in Africa and Latin and South America, as well as the rest of the globe. Ms. Bennett, thank you. I will now turn to Senator Menendez for his questions. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, Ms. Bennett. Uh, congratulations on your nomination. I'm sorry that other obligations kept me away from uh, hearing the totality of your, um, your testimony, so you'll excuse me if something I ask you may have been asked already. So uh, when a foreign country like China goes ahead and uh, puts a couple million Uyghurs in concentration camps, and we know that to be true, when Cuba goes ahead and represses its citizens for peacefully protesting and recently passed a law that actually makes for what we would consider free speech rights uh, a punishment by death. Um, and we know that to be true, as publicly uh, reported. What is, the, what is our obligation? I use those by ways of example. It can be, I can go to Africa, I can go to a whole bunch of places. What is uh, our obligation uh, from your perspective with the U.S. Agency for Global Media to do as it relates to reporting about those instances and those challenges in the world? Senator, thank you very much. That, is, that kind of obligation is at the heart of the mission of USAGM because reporting truthfully and factually the kind of information that the repressive regimes such as the ones you named are trying to keep from the world and from their own people is really a key component of what USAGM does. And I also think that reporting on repressive regimes and human rights such as the ones that you just mentioned are felt by journalists in their very soul. It is what they want to do. They want to make sure that these unseen and unheard people are able to bring their stories to the world and that information is a powerful tool. Mm -hmm. and, and especially I would assume that since that information, especially in closed societies where the state is the only actor in terms of providing information to its people to the extent that others can get from people within those countries can get information by circumvention tools or by the internet to the access to the extent that they have access to the internet or in other forms it's it's it, it seems to me that it's one of the critically important elements of of, of what we do in uh, surrogate broadcasting in the world uh, to give a window of uh, information to closed societies of people who don't otherwise have, uh, because of the nature of their repressive regimes, don't have that open window. So is that a fair statement of your view of policy? Senator, Senator it is an absolutely fair, 
fair statement. Because there have been suggestions in the past uh, that your uh, previous role suggests that that is not the view that you had, that in fact you, that you were uh, quote unquote advocates uh, for some of the views of these regimes. And um, I just wanted to set the record straight uh, since uh, not too many may attend the hearing, but when it comes time for a business meeting, we'll hear a chorus of things from some people. Senator, I, appreci I appreciate that. And my entire journalistic career has been devoted to giving truthful news and information and not advocating for any position whatsoever, especially not that of a repressive regime. Mm -hmm. And one last thing, as you're probably aware, Congress has legislated a series of reforms to the board, uh, as we would refer to it, following the dissolution of the Broadcasters Board of Governors model. In all these changes, Congress has made clear that an advisory board comprised of experienced professionals who are not otherwise employed by the U.S. government is critical to protecting the firewall that we have sought to establish. If confirmed, do you agree, and how would you expect to utilize that advisory board? Senator, I agree that uh, boards can, can and should be an important partner in making the kinds of decisions that you need to make inside an agency like this. And I will commit to working collaboratively, openly, truthfully, and non, on a nonpartisan basis with such an advisory board. Thank you very much. Ms. Bennett, I thank you for your testimony. Again, congratulations on your nomination. I'm going to uh, ask that the committee record on this hearing be open until 5 p.m. on Thursday, the uh, 9th of June. If any colleagues either who've been here or who weren't able to attend submit questions before that time, I would encourage you to answer them fully and promptly. And with that, the committee hearing is adjourned.